I want to look at Isaiah 1 and 2 and 6 today. Um, I was reading it a few weeks ago, and it caught my attention of uh, how the Lord was dealing with Israel and the complications. Uh, he likens them to his children, but the, the challenge, so to speak, of a parent trying to bring their child into wholeness of activity and well-being, and yet at times this you know, conflict of wills. And when you're a loving parent, you see this child's selfishness as being something that will really hinder them in regard to their relationships with their friends, but also with instructors. You know, people will eventually say, I don't want to deal with that beast. You know, they, they won't be quite as nice with your child as you are. Um, but one of the things I've read recently is that a lot of that is formed between the years of two and four. So early on, that interaction of how things should go gets developed. But if, if you're selfish, you tend to alienate others. And so it's very important for that parent to just come around and say, this behavior doesn't work. We don't accept that here. Now, I watch parents and it's like, you don't really want to do that. Let's, you know, because in our hearts, there's no desire to discipline. There's no desire to, to inflict pain of any kind. But at the same time, you're saying, the long-term effect of this is such that I have to intervene. I just don't know how to get it done. And, and honestly, most parents are kind of, Whatever works in this moment, you know, God help me. And the other dynamic is the foolishness of a child will regularly step into things that they just shouldn't be doing. And if you're really afraid for them, you draw a line and just say, no, we're not going to have this. I had two little boys out at my land this last week, and uh, I'm... I want them out there. I want them loving it. But they come up with some ideas that maybe aren't the best, you know? And so I had this concrete block about two feet long, and it had scallops on it. Used to see them laying around here, and I finally took them out to use them for something because <laughs> they're ugly. But for a boy, you could take your stick gun, aim through that scallop, and it's just perfect, this barrier, you know? And the fantasies were rolling. Well, then it's that, can we take that up in our secret fort, which is 8, 10 feet high? And I'm going, you can barely lift the thing. Oh, but we really need it. And I'm going, well, make sure that you don't go behind the guy that's carrying it up the ladder, okay? Just, you know, and so, long story short, they got it up there. And about 10 minutes later, they kind of come over, and they're half limping, and it fell on our toes. <laughs> and I'm going, yeah, probably not the best thing to do, is it? <laughs> well, you want a child to explore. You want them to develop. But at the same time, you see at times things that are dangerous. And you say, this can't continue. Or you see these dynamics of selfishness where you're going, this, this will alienate you from everyone. That's 
in some ways what I see as God's approach with Israel and with Jerusalem and the prophet Isaiah is, is making these declarations and God's going, I love you, but I cannot let this continue. And, and so they're wrestling through some of that. He said, the children I've reared have brought and brought up, they've rebelled against me. And he gives some illustrations. He says, you know, an ox knows its master, a donkey knows where, where to get the food. But he says, you guys have kind of forgotten all of this. You, and he, he goes on and says, you've forsaken the Lord. They've despised the Holy One of Israel. He says, will you still be struck down? Will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. The sole of the foot, even the head, there's no soundness in it. He says, your whole body's messed up. If I were to compare you to a physical being, he says, everything about you is, is speaks of, of sickness. But what are we going to do about this? He says, your country lies desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. And, and so he just, he says, I, I've got to deal with these things. He likens them to Sodom and Gomorrah and says, at least I'm going to leave a remnant but he, says, he goes on and says, I am sick of your offerings. I'm sick of your sacrifices. I'm sick of your feast days. I'm sick of your celebrations or Sabbaths and new moon festivals. And so he's saying, yeah, religiously, you're still doing it. Religiously, you're still acting like we have a relationship. But he says, in, uh, let me... Pick out the verse here. He says, there's blood on your hands, verse 15, and then 16 and 17. Wash yourselves and make yourselves clean. Remove your evil deeds before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. So he's saying, you have tried to replace our relationship and the way of doing life the things that would bring justice and assistance to others, you've just provided religious action and somehow we're supposed to be, I'm supposed to be happy with this. I'm not happy with that fly right now, but I'm not sure what I'm going to do about it. It will beat me. Um, so putting that in our context... It's like we meet here on Sundays, but all week long, we have this opportunity for carrying out the work of God. And was just like was mentioned earlier, wherever we're at, in whatever situation we're in, then we're seeking to see justice come through. Well, sometimes that's just in marriage relationships, sometimes that's with our children, sometimes... Family, friends, neighbors. Sometimes that's the main sphere of our influence, right? And so it becomes very important that we take these things and apply this truth to them. That when we, rather than just step and walk in evil, that we actually turn and do the things that are of value to the kingdom. And that we look around us and we, we begin to picture what's, what's available to us. 
I liked that thought of, uh, in a sense, what's often been said, bloom where you're planted, but that stepping into the sphere of where God has placed you and making an impact there. That's, that's what our call is. And, and at times, you know, we get this grandiose dream, well, I can really serve God if I get a promotion. I can really serve God if I'm recognized by this group of people. I really can serve God if I speak. I can, you know, and yet the vast majority of our time is one-on-one interaction or it's with just a handful of people. And that's the arena that God calls us to to, to establish the, the sphere of righteousness, so to speak. He goes from that into some verses that are very common to us and, and verses that we know well. It says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. If you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword for the mouth of the Lord, or the word, mouth of the Lord is spoken. So he's saying, I'm giving you a chance here. I want you to change. I want you to embrace this health, so to speak. He says, I'll cleanse you. I'll wash this away. So he he goes through some more illustrations and examples with them and carries this conversation. And you get into the second chapter, the end of the first chapter, but also into the second and he makes a declaration about Jerusalem. And even though he, he says, you know, right now you, <laughs> you've got gold all over the place. He says, you've got horses and chariots everywhere. In other words, wealth-wise, you're doing outstanding. But he says, you're worshiping idols. You're making alliances with people you shouldn't make alliances with. He says, this isn't going to last. But he still paints an end-time picture of Jerusalem as being a center point for all justice. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. So even in this season where he's saying, in this moment, I'm so disgusted with the way you're behaving. And he says, I really want to give you opportunity to make a turn. He says, I still have this grand dream for what you're going to become. And I'm going to see that through. And it's, it's this thing of the loving parent continuing to work with a, a disobedient, rebellious child saying, I will see your growing up happen. I will see you into adulthood. I will see you into a maturity that reflects the behavior that's appropriate with who you can be. It's powerful when I think about that because, you know, if <laughs> sometimes in our parenting, we do things in discipline to our children just because we're embarrassed. And all that really does is reveal our own selfishness. No, that's my kid, and so I better do something about it. That's not the way God functions with us. 
he, he operates from that position of love. And he says, I want to see this changed. And I want you brought into health. And so I'm going to keep after you until it happens. And there are times that I'm going to discipline you. Now, these chapters are separated for a reason, but I want to link them together, okay? Because I have a thought that came with this. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah receives a call from the Lord through a powerful vision. He says, in the year that Uzziah died, so he's actually stamping a date on it. He says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. Two he covered his face, two his feet, and with two he flew. I think the picture that we're to get is that the seraphim, though they're magnificent beings, they're saying, even in the presence of God, we can't look on that glory that long. It's, it'd be like us looking at the sun. You'll eventually blind yourself, right? And the feet that would carry dust from daily life, it's almost like there's, they're, they're covering that too because we just, you know, we're in the presence of holy God. So that's, that's the picture, the, the initial picture that we get. And the one who called to another said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So Isaiah is having this vision, and he's seeing something just astounding. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. So when they serve him are speaking, even the house is shaking. Okay? Temple setting. And he says, smoke filled the house because there's an altar there. And, you know, it's like pure worship is happening. And all of that to say this is a very powerful and holy moment that Isaiah has, has never been in before. And he says, woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He says, I'm not fully righteous. In fact, if he's talking about his lips, he says, I talk trash and junk. And I know that when I'm in the presence of God. And he goes, what's even worse is I, everyone I live with is doing the same thing. And so I'm, I'm stained through myself, but I'm also polluted with everyone around me. And here I am before holy God. And, and so it's this awesome moment, this soul-searching time where you're just going to, I have no right to be here, and I, I am even going to live through this. It says, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. What you and I can't do on our own, God does for us. The cleansing that we can't bring into our lives, he is willing to do for us. And so from the altar is a, comes from the Lord comes a cleansing that washes away our sin. 
It's like the promise of that first chapter. You know, and, and regularly, you know, if you're going to seek the Lord, you're very aware of imperfections, right? You're, you're very aware that He's holy, He's perfect. I am not. But you come to that moment and you realize the only hope that I have is that he would do something. You know, where it's his, it would be his right to, to cast me away. It'd be his right to destroy me. But what's his choice? His choice is to cleanse my lips and to bring life. And what's what astounds me following this, it says, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here am I, send me. And the natural response to the cleansing of the Lord is when he calls us into activity, we say, I want to do this. I want to make the declaration." I want to declare the goodness of God. I want to speak his word. And so just as we've been saying, you know, the justice of the Lord, we want to speak that life into our families. We want to speak that life into our work relationships. We want to speak that life into community. When we have experienced the cleansing of the Lord and the goodness of God that washes away our sin, the natural response is to say, this is available for others as well. And we are it, it, out of an unwholesome environment, the Lord calls unwholesome people, cleanses them, and sends them out. It's wondrous. What <laughs> There's a mind-blowing thing to me that follows this particular portion. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and their blind eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. He tells them, I'm sending you out. But know this, not everybody's going to listen. I'm sending you out, but I'm sending you into an environment where ears not so good, sight not seeing. Jesus quotes this passage in, in Matthew chapter 13. It's a parables, a chapter of the parables. And the disciples go, why are you talking in parables? He says, this group... This religious group is not going to understand it. But he is still fulfilling his work. And in the same way, there is always a remnant that God places and uses and works through them to accomplish his good. And at the end of time, there's a fullness to all of history in a way that couldn't be perceived otherwise. He says even into Isaiah in this moment. He says, a tenth will remain in the land. He says, I'm hauling them off. They're, they're going to face this troublesome time. 
But he says a remnant is going to be remaining. And out of that will come a holy shoot or root. Um, a lot of trees, you cut them down and they just sprout back up because the roots are good. And this is the illustration that we're getting out of this. And so in that sense, you and I, you know, I look around our culture and I see things that are very disturbing to me. Now, wealth-wise, our country's still doing good, at least on the surface, right? But you see things that, unless they're fixed, there's trouble ahead. But even in that, I, I, I look and I say, political stability, wealth, those are all short-term temporal securities. That's not the fullness of the picture. And even in my lifetime, I've seen some countries that were doing extremely well that now suddenly are unraveled. And I don't have any specific date or time regarding our country, but I'm not convinced that God wouldn't unravel us if that fits within his call and his plan. The challenge that you and I have is, are we going to be part of the remnant, and are we going to listen to his voice and allow the, his growing kingdom to continue through us? Because he has made this declaration that it will grow until the end of time. So the question is, are we going to participate or not? That's, that's the issue as I see it. Now, sometimes cultures come and go. Nations come and go. Cities come and go. But the word of the Lord stands forever. And his declarations will not return without being fulfilled. So when we step into this kingdom, when we allow him to cleanse our lips, so to speak, we are stepping into something that is going to continue for eternity. What an honor and a privilege it is to participate in that. What an honor even to have the scripture giving us Old Testament illustration of how God deals with his people so that we can take it to heart and allow him to transform our lives. Now, I truly love gathering together with this group. <laughs> I love our Sundays. But there is a whole rest of the week that God wants to be involved in too. And so we pray, God, make these moments together powerful, but also make us powerful as we go out in declaring your word, a people set free and cleansed by you. Thank you for your scripture. Amen. For God's blessing upon you, again, particularly as you go out into your fields of ministry. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy that you love them deeply. And you will do anything to see them flourish and grow in you. As each one goes into their fields of ministry, Lord, I said you give them words of life to speak over others with anointed lips. I ask that you enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day. Amen.